Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. An applause. Wow. I, Chad, Chad and I talked before the service. He said, how do you want to transition so it's not kind of a, a fall, you know? And I said, you can say my name if you want to, but I don't have any walk-up music or anything like that. So, But uh, so good, so good to be here this morning. I uh, look forward to Sunday every week. I hope that you do as well. Time we can come together and uh, to worship and uh, to fellowship and just to engage in God's Word. And this week in particular is an exciting one as we kick off this new series, Who's Your Plus One? And uh, with this, uh, this concept of, of recognizing God has given us the opportunity, you and I, the opportunity to be part of his redemptive work. He's given us the opportunity to live in community, to be in relationship with other people so that those around us in our sphere of influence and us as well can be nourished and we can grow, we can edify one another for the kingdom and uh, for God and to grow in our relationship with God as well. The, the kind of the thought of this uh, series as it was uh, placed on my heart uh, several months ago as we kind of walked into it, uh, spurred from an invitation that I received uh, in the mail. Uh, probably you've been there before as well. The invitation said, you are invited to a wedding. And uh, the wedding is uh, at this time, at this place, this, this, uh, um, this uh, location for these two individuals. And you are allowed or invited to bring someone with you, a plus one. All right, good. We're getting it already. (laughs) The funny part is I rarely get these kind of invitations, and that one wasn't even supposed to come to me. It came to the wrong place, and so I was sad to open someone else's mail. (laughs) Normally when I go to a wedding, I'm the guy up here that's uh, just saying, do you say I do? Do you say I do? It's been a while since I've been a a person who's been invited uh, by invitation in that way, but I do remember... Uh, it was back in 2002. Uh, I was invited to a wedding. Uh, it was a family wedding down in Georgia. That's where most of my uh, dad's extended family lives, down in Georgia. And uh, we were invited to go down. And I was, at the time, uh, you know, I was in college, and I was just learning new things and meeting new people. And I remember specifically that time getting an invitation. And there was a little note on there, bring a plus one. And my parents looked at me, and I didn't have a girlfriend at the time, didn't have a wife at the time. They looked at me and said, do you have someone you'd like to bring? And I sheepishly said, yeah, there's a girl that I'm kind of, uh, kind of talking to. And uh, I took this girl, and when we got there, I thought to myself, this is only a preview of what's to come. And so I married her, and she's not... In the front, she's in the back. She learned her lesson last week not to walk up during the service. Uh, I got a little deer in the headlights last week when she came in. In any event, I recognize the importance of the plus one. I recognize what can take place uh, in the context of living with those people that we might recognize as a plus one. Plus one is somebody that is important to us. A plus one is somebody that we have in our context that we recognize that we would even say is maybe a VIP in our lives. A plus one is a loved one. A plus one is somebody that you want to experience the joys of life with. Often we have a plus one, it's to a banquet or to a wedding or to some kind of a celebration. And when you bring that person, you want to share in the joyous occasion with them. You value them. You love them. You want them to know things. You want them to grow. You want to grow from them. 
Often your plus one is someone that you want to uh, entrust the, 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 the secrets or the things of your life, the depth, the vulnerabilities of your life with. The plus one is somebody that you want to lead and someone you want to help lead you. Sometimes the plus one is somebody that God has granted to you under your care, maybe a child or a grandchild. And that person is someone that God has granted to you to lead and to guide. And so over the course of this series, we're going to look at the different plus ones in our lives. The mentors, the people that mentor us, the friends that we engage with, maybe those children that we have been entrusted. We're going to engage and walk through the biblical lateral relationships of life and who God calls us to live life together so that we can edify his church and glorify him at the same time. The reality is that the training, the equipping, the unleashing, the movement of the kingdom force, the kingdom of God, doesn't necessarily happen in stadiums or in huge, large settings. Instead, it typically happens in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. In fact, if you look specifically at Christ's, uh, his, his ministry in general, yes, he taught to the masses. He taught when people came before him. He was in, in all ways and in, in, in every aspect, he was, it was uh, the, the person, he personified God as uh, being 100% God and 100% man. But in all of those things, the greatest impacts that God had were with the plus one, the small individual relationships that he had with his disciples and with those people that he engaged with. Eugene Peterson says, we can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and have nothing to do with a family. And so the recognition here is that God has called us to live in community, to called us to live in unity, to call us to live in the body of Christ so that we can not be inclusive but be, or exclusive, but be inclusive for the people that are around us. God has called you and he has called me to live in a way where we embrace the plus ones in our life, where we identify who they are, we embrace them, we engage them, and we bring them to a place where they can be in the presence of a holy God. Today we're going to look specifically at uh, not only an example, but a philosophical take uh, on what it means to engage in plus ones. And we're going to look at uh, the uh, historical context, the historical story of uh, a wedding itself. In fact, one of the first weddings that we see uh, in Scripture it is from the Gospel of John, and this wedding is one where if you've read it before, you might uh, get hung up on a couple of things. One, you might get hung up on the fact that, that uh, Christ is the, the provider, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing to, to recognize. There's many things you can pull out of this passage. Another one you might recognize is that Christ also turned water into wine. And with that, there's some, some thoughts in this passage, and I'm going to say this up front. It talks about how sometimes people might drink too much at a wedding, and then they don't realize that the, the, the wine that they have later on is not as good as the wine they initially had. And there's this whole conversation about that, which we are going to read today. But I want to say one thing. Christ in no way in this passage is in encouraging anyone to get drunk or to have too much wine or to celebrate in that way. Instead, he's bringing forth an opportunity to show and to reveal his power his goodness, and to bring forth in fruition his way in bringing the new covenant in the New Testament. And so we're going to read from John chapter 2. John was one of the followers of Jesus in, in the early church, and as he followed Jesus, he recorded his stories in what we call the good news or the gospel of John. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, on the third day a wedding took place at, Cana, at Canaan in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. 
Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servant, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the, the kind used for, by the Jews for ceremonial washings, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Then in verse 11, it says, when Jesus did, what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And so the setting we see is this wedding in Canaan and this opportunity for Jesus to be there with his plus ones, with his disciples. He brought forth the opportunity for them to live life with him, to draw on this experience of celebration, but also to see him at work, to see his masterful miracles at work in the context of real life. You see, Jesus was on a mission to save the world. That was his reason for coming. It was the greatest mission in the history of humankind. And when he came into this world, that was the goal. However, the timing had not yet come. And the reality is while there was this wedding taking place, Jesus didn't say, I don't have time for that. I'm preparing for the ministry. I'm preparing for this mission. I'm preparing for all the things in front of me. I can't go to this social occasion of celebration. Instead, Jesus valued these times because they involved people. You see, Jesus saw in front of him the opportunity to engage a ministry with the people that he did life with. And oftentimes as we go about life, we may see opportunity, not necessarily even a wedding, but just opportunity for different engagements with people. And we say, well, I don't have time for that because I've got this. We live in the most busy, the most hurried society, the most hurried culture of, in all human history. And the reality of that, sometimes even this busyness can draw us away from, and Jesus knew this in this moment, could draw us away from the opportunity to engage in growth and in relationship with the plus ones in front of us. I don't have it on me, I left it on my seat, but oftentimes we are sitting in a room, looking at a screen, ignoring the people that are right in front of us. And Jesus said, I'm not going to allow this time to pass, but instead I'm going to move forward. And here's the reality of the first point is this. God's design for humankind is to live life together. That seems pretty simple. That seems pretty simple when we, when we look at the context of Scripture and we see the, the, the way that Christ lived. But sometimes it's, it's simple to say and simple to understand, but it's, sometimes it's difficult to do. And what Christ is saying is when the opportunity arises to live life with the plus ones because that is the intention, that is the desire for the church to grow and to be edified. Now don't miss out on the big thought here. He brought his disciples along. He had several plus ones in this instance. And so with that, he wasn't just saying, okay, I'm going to go to this wedding myself, but he brought people with him. One of the first lessons that, that I learned in an internship that I did early on in, in, uh, in training for ministry, I had to read several books. And one of the books was a small little book with a big point. It was called The Be With Factor. And it was written by Bobo Shears, who was a, a youth pastor in the 90s. And, and his context for writing and his purpose for writing was to recognize that in everything that we do, in everything that you do, bring someone with you. 
And everything you do in life brings someone with you. And, and the goal in that, whether you're going to the grocery store and to bring one of your children, you can show them that there are teachable lessons. There are times when you can grow. There are things that you can do together where two or more are gathered, right? And so this opportunity that we have to even just go into the world, whether it be to go get a haircut or, or to sign up for classes or, or maybe, a, you know, any time at work for a break, whatever it is, do it with someone else. Share life with someone else. And even in the context of, pa of passing that on, he talks about the, the five steps of leadership development. I do, you watch, and then we talk about it. Right? And then the next step, I do, you help, and then we talk about it. You do, I help, and then we talk about it. You do, I watch, and then we talk about it. You do, and someone else watches. And if you follow through those steps right there, you see that Christ right now is on step one. I do, and you watch. And then he kind of engages the servants to I do, and you help. Right? He, he, he enlisted them to help. And if you see his ministry... As you see Christ's ministry throughout the Gospels, you see that through this whole process, he's going through giving the disciples more and more responsibility, helping teach them, talking along the way, and then eventually, what happens with Christ? He leaves, right? He, he, he dies, he's, he's crucified, he rises from the dead, and then he ascends into heaven, and he leaves the disciples there. And at that point, at that point, they are given the reins of the church and said, okay, now you are to go and to move forward in this. This is a, a perfect example of, of the Trinity relationship. This is a perfect example of what God ha has done and how he's created us to live in unity. Because the Trinity relationship, the God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, all of them have this relationship of affirming one another, edifying one another, so that there might be opportunity for each one to be glorified. And so when you and I, as, as people, try to, to, to live like Christ, we can't do so in a solo act or by ourselves. Instead, if we're going to live life as, as the way that God has intended and the way that he's demonstrated, we need to do so in firm and unconditionally loving community together. They gathered together, they celebrated, they lived in the presence of God together. When you jump back to verse 3, it reads like this. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And in the context of any good story, any good narrative, we see that there is a problem. And the problem has already arisen. They get to this wedding. Everything was going well. Jesus had brought along the disciples. And you guys know in life that everything always goes smoothly, right? That's the way that things work. Well, it didn't happen here either, right? Christ was in this position where we're at this party, everything's planned. He wasn't even part of the pl party planning committee. He just showed up. And then all of a sudden this issue happened. And the first thing that took place is Mary, his mother, said, Jesus, son, can you help us out in this area? She asked for his help. She said, there's, there's no more wine. And, 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 and now at this point, we're going to need you to, to try to step in in some way to help save the day. You see, at this time, there would have been a lot of planning that would have went into this type of event. And in this time, there would have been a lot of, of, of work and preparation to get everything together. It would have taken a while for all the celebration elements to come together. And for them to, to not have, to fail to have all the things would have, would have been a, a serious offense on the couple and then also on their families as well. And Jesus' response is an interesting one when this came. You'd think he'd fall down and say, oh, well, let me help. Let me do whatever I can. Instead, the first thing that he says is somewhat of a rebuke. He says, mom, well, you know, it's not necessarily my time, right? And right here, he's reflecting back. He's demonstrating to, to his mother and those that are around, hey, you know what? I want you to know that I will help and I'm going to help. But before I do, I want you to know that it's all about the father's timing. 
I'm edifying, I, I'm, I'm growing, I'm, I'm building this relationship with another member of the Godhead, with God the Father. But instead of just stopping there, we'd have recognized that as kind of a comedy where he says, okay, mom, I'm, I'm an adult, I can do it myself now, right? That's not where he's at. Instead, he moves forward, he says, okay, my time hasn't yet come, but I'm going to do this, reluctantly or not, I'm going to step in in complete submission to the Father's will, and I'm going to be about my Father's business, which is to bring reconciliation. And so then he says, do whatever, she says, do whatever he tells you. And so they have this open-minded thought where Jesus' purpose to be obedient to the Father, but also to, to weigh this opportunity to engage with the people that are around him. He says, okay, what can I do? I will bring them in and I will bring forth an opportunity for them to grow. And so here we recognize point number two, and that is this, put your problems in the hands of Jesus. Another simple point, but not necessarily always the easiest thing to do. Well, put, your hand, put, your, put your problems in the hands of Jesus. Mary here and also the servants, all the people that were kind of at the mercy of Jesus at that point. Because they knew that they were, they were going to suffer some serious offense. They were going to suffer some, some very frustrations, the very frustrations of the people that were there. And so if they, if they put their, 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 their thoughts, their frustrations, their concerns in his hands, they were kind of at his mercy. Can I tell you in life, sometimes it's difficult to say, okay, Christ, I don't know what's going to happen here with my business. I don't know what's going to happen with this relationship. I don't know what's going to happen with my finances, but I'm going to put it in your hands and trust you in this. That's not always easy. You know, we often will have, or we have times of prayer, and, and sometimes we have prayer, and we're going to do that even here today. Prayer where you can come and you can respond at an altar. You can bow at an altar. And what you're saying in your posture and in your action and in your prayer is, God, I can't do this, but I trust that you can. That's a scary place to be, but it's where we need to be. Because when we're in that position, when we're in that place, we allow God to be God and we reflect and recognize that we are not. In community, we'll speak louder than anything else you'll ever imagine. In, in community, we have the opportunity to embrace God in a way that's, that's deeper than we'd ever recognize. And then comes the action in and of itself. Jesus takes action and the miracle unfolds. And this is the exciting part for those that are on looking. Probably not as much for the servants who are really nervous about what's going to happen in that place. So as we recall the process, basically in verse 6, we see that the resources and the servants were available. We see the resources of, of these giant basins full of water are there. Jesus in verse 7 calls on the servants. They are obedient to fill the jars. They get all the water. They fill the jars all the way to the brim. They were humble to be obedient, even though taking these jars could have uh, quite, been quite embarrassing to them and, and caused them personal pain. Think about it for a moment. He says, okay, here are these water jars. Now I want you to dip into that and take it to the master of ceremonies. That was, that was a, a very vulnerable place for them to be, to say, okay, I'm bringing this, which I hope ends up not just being wine, but being wine that's delicious. And so they take it to him. They find this place where they follow all the things and God bring, or Christ brings them in to the process and allows them to be part of it. And there's three core principles, three core things that are included in this process of this miracle right here. And it's this. The core of God's uh, call includes availability, includes obedience, includes humility. 
You see that the resources were available. No one was holding them too tight and saying, hey, these are mine. And there's, there's some really, there, there's a very neat understanding when it comes to the ceremonial washing, which I'm going to talk about in just a moment. But there's an availability to say, okay, this is here. I am here. I will do as you say. There's an obedience when Christ says, here's what I call you to do. And we don't always know what the ending is going to be or what it's all going to look like. But we are obedient to his call. And there's a humility to say, God, you are God and I am not. There's many pictures throughout history, and certainly there's several in Scripture that we recognize of people who were humble, they were available, and they were obedient. One that comes to mind is one that we don't hear a whole lot about. We hear about him in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, as we hear about the crucifixion of Jesus, and that is Simon of Cyrene. I don't know if you know much about Simon of Cyrene, but he was a man who carried the cross for Jesus to the location of his death. Jesus was unable to carry it because of his physical state, because he had been beaten, because he was tired, because of of, of where he was at. And so the guards, they grabbed Simon and they said, you're going to carry the cross the rest of the way. There's few things that we know about Simon himself, that he was a worshiper of the God of the Jews. But if we look further into the book of Acts, we see that this unique experience let him come into faith with Jesus because of how he saw this struggle of this man and what he saw take place as a result of it. We know that he was a father, meaning that he had other responsibilities. And availability can be difficult when we recognize we have other responsibilities. We have these other things we need to take care of. And and he brought his kids, his his boys, to the the Passover meal. He brought them to this place, but he was willing to step forward, uh, quite possibly because he was being forced in this case. But also, as the passage goes on and as his life goes on, he was willing to step forward in how God called him to go. He was among the first Christians to believe at the day of Pentecost. And then quite possibly, this is maybe the most important. Simon of Cyrene was a man pulled from the crowd who was commanded to carry the cross. And he literally, think about this for a minute. He literally was able to feel the blood that was probably already on the cross. The blood of Jesus dripped down his brow as well. He carried the burden. He, he walked alongside Christ. He carried the cross for Christ in that instance. He was humble. He was available. He was obedient. And the question, I guess, is this, will you be the same? When Christ calls you to carry his cross, to step forward in some way on behalf of a brother or sister in Christ or someone within your context that might simply be a plus one that at this point is even just seeking, will you say yes? Availability, obedience, humility. Verse 9, the second half of verse 9 and into 10, reads like this. And the master of the banquet tasted the wine and he had been turned, that had been, tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then they called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. See, this was an enormous quantity of wine, probably more than 100 gallons, and it was the best wine that they could ever taste. The reality is there's more to the story here. These six stone jars would have been used for purification rites, something they had been doing, the Jewish people had been doing for generations. And that water was just sitting there ready as part of the old covenant to wash, to bring cleanliness to the people that were there. And here's what, what is so amazing about Jesus is the intentionality behind how he didn't destroy the old covenant. Instead, he came and fulfilled the old covenant with his new covenant himself. 
He filled and transformed the contents of the best wine. He offered himself as a surpassing fullness of God's revelation to his people through this process. This was a metaphor. It was symbolic of the fact that he came along with the prophets and the kings as the supreme agent of God's salvation. Think about that for a minute. He, he said, okay, I'm going to come now recognizing the, all the rules, all the things that have taken place in the past. I'm not going to throw those away because there is an importance there, but I'm going to come and bring forth the opportunity to be the one saving, redeeming sacrifice for all humanity, for all plus ones, for all mankind. It's also interesting to note that there were six jars, six big jars there. An imperfect number that was only made perfect through the purification of the seventh, which is Jesus himself. And so the pots were not destroyed, but employed. And Jesus uh, came in in John chapter 1, verse 16 through and 17. It reads like this, out of the fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then we find ourselves in verse 11, the response. When Jesus did, what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. He was starting his public ministry. He was beginning all these things. And let's not understate this. And his disciples believed in him. There was a response of belief. There was a response of those to come and to be made new. They put their faith in him. You know, it's probably important to note that this was not the first time that the disciples believed in him. There was this rhythm of, of, do we really get this guy? Do we know what this is all about? Do we fully understand? There was a sense of curiosity there. But this first miraculous sign of turning this water into wine, and certainly they would understand the, the, the historical context of what that also represented, brought glory to God himself in through this understanding of what the Trinity relationship looks like. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus. God the Son, Jesus, went to to heaven, ascended into heaven, and along came God the Holy Spirit. Each one inviting the the disciples, the, the apostles, and even you and I along to be part of this relationship together. So many years ago, I brought my wife, Cherie, as a plus one to a wedding. And spiritually speaking, We've been blessed. You and I have been blessed to have the opportunity to be someone else's plus one at some point. You might be somebody's plus one even here today. Maybe you're here by invitation today. Somebody said, you know what? I care enough about you. I love you so much. I want to bring you to a place where you can fellowship with believers, where you can get to know about Jesus, where you can sing his praise. I remember many, many years ago, way before I ever met Cherie, way before I even understood everything about scripture that I know now or the things that God has done in my life, I remember sitting in the back of a church being my mother's plus one. And as we're sitting in the back of the church and the pastor's talking, I said, you know what? I want to experience that. I want to know Jesus. And my mom said to me that day, the same thing I'm going to say to you now, today can be your day. And she prayed with me and then started a, a new, unimaginable journey. Can I tell you right now, God has granted us with the blessing of being able to be part of the redemptive story of the plus ones in our lives. 
And while Christ has demonstrated through this miraculous sign the many wonders that he can do, the way that he can work, he also has demonstrated the fact that he wants to and he chooses to do things in community, which in turn helps us to recognize that he wants us to do the same thing. Before you put your pen away, here's the last point. Put your faith in Jesus. I realize all the points today were very simple. All of them were probably something, oh yeah, that makes sense, but not necessarily always the easiest thing to do. The other part of this, put your faith in Jesus, is that it's not just a solo act, but it's actually a corporate activity. It's not just a private thing that we do by ourselves and then we hold that secret to ourselves. No, it's an opportunity for us to step out in unity together and to say, hey, we are the church. Now, yes, you have to make your own decision. You are the one that makes the decision for you. Your parents can't make it. Your friends, no one else can make it for you. You have to make your own decision. But we do so in recognizing that when we, when we are called into the family of God, it is just that, a family. You earn brothers and sisters. You gain brothers and sisters in Christ when you say yes to him as your Savior, your Lord, your Father. It's made possible through his relationship with the Trinity for us to experience God through his creation, through being in all and through all, to experience Jesus through the salvation that he created and he gained and he allowed for us to gain through the cross and then also through the power of the Holy Spirit. What a measure of of, of really being able to, in all ways, provide for our needs in recognition that we can't do it on our own. And so here's how we're going to close the service. I'm going to ask for you to stand if you're able at this moment. And we're going to close in worship through song. But as we do, as we launch and kick off this new series, I hope that this could be maybe a start for some where you say, you know what, I, I don't know Christ. I don't know what this is all about, but I, I do recognize that there is, uh, an, uh, now before me, there is an invitation for me to step forward, to say yes to his spirit, to move forward in how he might be calling. Perhaps today you do know Christ. You've been walking in a way that is contrary to how he might be calling you to live. You've been living a life that, that, that serves other gods, that, that says no to God in, in certain ways, and yes, maybe in other ways. Maybe you're living here today and you're saying, you know what, I, I just want to attempt to try to find or to identify who are the plus ones in my life. Maybe you know who the plus ones are, the plus one is in your life, and you say, I, I just, I, I want to I ask for God's leading, his guiding, his strength, his courage to step forward so that I might be able to pour into the life of this other person that he's placed under my care or in my sphere of influence. And so I'm going to pray. I want to pray for this moment so that in all aspects and all ways we commit it to God. Because I want, I want to say this, it is not about me attempting to try to draw you out of the seats. That's not what this is. I am simply the vessel. I am simply attempting in all ways to be, uh, uh, to be obedient to God's call. And so I am simply just going to step out of the way. But as I do that, I want to encourage you to allow the Spirit to speak. And when the Spirit speaks, respond. When the Spirit speaks, respond. Because you don't always have the opportunity to hear that voice again. In fact, I'll say this, this could be the last opportunity, but also at the same time, the more you quiet the voice of the Holy Spirit, the less you hear it. Don't allow that to be the case today. Respond in turn. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. 
We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your miraculous wonders. We thank you, God, for creating us to live in community with others. And God, as we step forward in this time together as your church family, here as a local church in this place, but also as part of your universal church around the world and throughout history, God, we are thankful for the fact that we are part of community. We are part of your family. And so God, I pray that you would be with each individual here today, that as we hear your voice, that we would respond. If some would come to the altar and pray today, God, for salvation or for strengthening or for for discernment, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you would bless and you would touch each one. I pray, God, that this would be a moment and always that glorifies and honors you. I pray, God, that this would be a time where we we don't just check the box and then go about the rest of our day, but instead this would be a time of transformation where you can change us, you can transform us, you can make us new. We thank you, God, for what you do. We ask for you to move still in our midst as we are in this space and as we go from this place. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.